Mm. Well, one question is, what are we going to call this show? Oh, the the show where we're Sam and Amy chat about the podcast. Yeah. I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. well, I'm satisfied with calling this behind the scenes. Behind the scenes of continuous dream, and I'm Amy Kreider, and I'm Sam Kreider, and the first production is up there now. Charlie Johnson reads all of Proust. We are out there in the universe. So I thought we would start off. When did you first hear about Marcel Proust? How did you get interested in reading this enormous French novel? I don't remember the first time I ever heard of Remembrance of Things Past, because it goes all the way back to probably my childhood. I mean, just something you've heard about all your life if you grow up in a sort of literary family or, or what have you. I'm I'm sure... I remember very well the Monty Python scene uh, mm-hmm. sketch, the Proust summarizing competition. I'm pretty sure I had already heard of Proust when I saw that sketch because I got what was funny about it, the idea that it was this long, epic mm-hmm. novel. But I remember the sketch very well. I I can hear the whole thing in my head. And when I was producing the play at the Den Theater in... January of this year, 2019, a few people on Facebook posted that sketch to me, you know, asking if I remembered or knew the sketch. And of course I did. And, you know, that sketch has some very devoted fans and so many people who are sort of literary and into um, the art and into Monty Python, who not necessarily of Red Proust, know that sketch. And that's all they know of Proust is that sketch. Like that's mm-hmm. that's kind of a touchstone of that cross-section of PBS viewers and literature and, and comedy. I had not thought to read it at the time, uh, not for many years. And I'm pretty sure you actually got me to read it. And you don't remember this, but... Several years ago, you said you decided you wanted to read Proust, and you bought it, and you were reading it, and that got me to start reading it. I wanted to catch up with you, and then I got ahead of you, and you actually still haven't finished it, and I've read it all twice now. And you started listening to the audio at some point. I'm really curious. I have not listened to the audio, and I'm really curious what that experience is compared with reading it on the page. With reading it, you can go back and read a sentence again Mm -hmm. very easily. And there are footnotes sometimes to explain some of the historical references, which you don't get Mm -hmm. in the audio versions that you listen to. And I also, when I was reading it, I was looking up a lot of words in the dictionary, a lot of unfamiliar words, big, as Charlie Johnson says, $20 words. Mm And I was interested in how often the words referred to aquatic things, images of the ocean, of sea life, of coral, of water. A lot of these big words are metaphors for the ocean. And it seemed like that was a callback to Baalbek in that whole part of the story. It is a very long series mm-hmm. and like like Charlie Johnson in the play people might not always realize quite how long it is mm-hmm. 
since when you look at the bookstore, there's usually only Swan's Way on the shelf. <laughs> there's half a dozen editions of Swan's Way. Right. So if you really were going to introduce this to someone who maybe only knows, only knows the Monty Python sketch or maybe has heard of only heard of Proust, how would you sell? How would you sell the series to someone? There are different aspects to the series. One is that a lot of it is very funny. A lot of it is social satire. And there's some very humorous moments in the books. He's very witty. Some of the lines that the Duchess de Grammont, uh, some of her lines, because she's sort of a wit in society, are pretty funny. Some of the kooky experiences that Marcel has are funny. Charlou is very much a humorous character. He ends up, in the end, almost a tragic character, but he's very humorous for a lot of the book. In a very crazy, broad way. Well, broad isn't quite the right word, but these characters are so larger than life. They're larger than life characters. It's very philosophical as well. Proust goes on a lot about art and literature and what makes something a work of art. What makes it important? Why do certain artists become important artists? What have they contributed to the world of art? And he reflects on that. It is his ambition to become a writer. And I had forgotten until I read it the second time that that begins in his childhood, that he had wanted to write some great work from his earliest childhood. And I think it's a good series to read if you want to be a writer, to see someone struggle. For almost the entire series, he's not writing, at least in the course of the story. People are asking him, how is your writing going? And he hasn't written anything. And people are saying, well, I'll, I'll let you have this time to yourself tonight so that you can work on your book and here's some paper and here's some pens. And he puts it off and he puts it off and he puts it off. You know, it's really a story of procrastination. The whole seven volumes is the story of someone procrastinating doing his great work. And in the end, this is a spoiler, he has the motivation at last, the inspiration that he's going to do it. And I just read today, I, I read Harold Pinter's screenplay adaptation. And in the introduction, he mentions that Proust wrote the first volume, then he wrote the last volume, then he wrote all the rest. So he wrote the last volume very early, in which the main character decides he's ready to write his work. So I thought that was interesting that he writes about this inspiration and then actually does write the rest of the work. Who the main character is, is interesting to think about because it's a work of fiction written as if it were a memoir. And Proust very much uses his own name for the main character. He never uses a last name. He's Marcel throughout the volumes. So he really identifies with that main character. It's not a nonfiction book. It's a fiction book. But he's identified so strongly with that main character that it's as if it were a memoir and, and very much that he's writing about himself, his own feelings and his own thoughts. Structurally, I'm interested in the fact that he tells the whole swan story 
with omniscience and later mentions that Swan had told him the story. But he doesn't depict Swan telling him the story. He just depicts the story as if he knows the whole thing. And then later mentions that Swan had told him the whole thing. So when, in the process of reading this, did you start to think about a play? Well, it's funny because it was actually a long time after I read it. I finished reading it, oh, maybe it was earlier. I finished it in the spring of 2015. So I'd started reading it long before that because I started reading it, I set it aside for a while, came back to it. And then the spring of 2015, I finished reading it for the first time. And I didn't think about a play or anything. And then one day in the spring of 2017, two years later, I was just thinking about your family in Indianapolis, the kind of Midwestern church-going people they are, old people, older relatives, and thinking, well, what if one of these older relatives read Proust? What would happen? I don't remember that occurring to me, but I think that is what occurred to me. I only know that very shortly after that, you and I were in Italy on a vacation, and I, this might have been the day after that occurred to me, I suddenly had all these ideas for this monologue. We were in a car being driven from the Rome airport to Orvieto. All these ideas were coming to me. I had the beginning very quickly that his stepdaughter-in-law gives him a little lecture. Well, I'm, I don't make it a stepdaughter, just a daughter-in-law. Gives him a little lecture on Proust and he feels challenged to read all the Proust. I immediately thought of his Madeline being the fried cornmeal mush, which is not from your family. I actually took that from a PBS cooking show years ago called The Frugal Gourmet, where the host was talking about either his father or his grandfather growing up in one of the Dakotas, eating fried cornmeal mush every morning until he was sick of it. And that always stuck with me, that anecdote, and how one day he came down to breakfast and his father was making the fried cornmeal mush. And he said, weren't you sick of that? And the father said, I just had to taste it again, like at the end of his life. So that anecdote stuck with me. So I used that for this play. And then I thought of the ending very quickly, the very end, the irony that the stepdaughter and the, the daughter-in-law, and this is a spoiler, has, has not actually read all the proofs. She only read Swan's Way. I had the that ending very early on. So all the while that we were on this vacation in Italy, these ideas were simmering in my mind. And I thought, well, now I have to read all the Proust again. I can't write this play. I don't. It's been two years now since I had finished it. I didn't remember a lot of what I had read. And I realized I would have to read it all again. So I started reading it all again right away. Tried to hold back writing the play that September, so this is about four months later, I enrolled in a writing class at Chicago Dramatists. It was a three-week class. It was a mini course called Scene Shop. It's normally a seven-week class, but this was a short version of that class. And we do these wonderful writing exercises in this class. So the three writing exercises I did, the teacher's will done his writing exercises, opened up the whole middle of the play for me, because I knew there had to be a middle, there had to be a story. What was the story? And in these writing exercises, I worked out the whole middle with 
his daughter Georgianne and the conflict. So I had it all worked out, but I was still reading Proust again. I was still trying to hold off writing the play, but finally, I believe it was about February of 2018, I thought, well, I just have to write this play because there was so much built up in my mind about the story. So I wrote the whole thing in about three or four sessions. I had written some of it for that class because we present our writing to the class. So I did write the first three pages for that class and heard it aloud with actors, with an actor. And I wrote the last couple of pages in that class. So I wrote the whole middle in February of 2018 in just a couple of sessions. And often when I write, I'm lost and I have to do a lot of rewriting. But this all came out very fluently, very smoothly. And I did very, very little revising from that draft. It was there. It was all there. And it came out to about 25 pages. And I thought, well, now this isn't long enough to be a full-length play. What am I going to do? So I had a table reading with Jeff Breitman, who is the actor in our podcast. And to my surprise, it came out well over an hour. It was an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes. It was long enough to be a full-length play. And the only revision at that point was that you suggested I have a little bit more from Proust, because most of my play is not Proust, and maybe explain the Dreyfus affair for listeners who wouldn't know anything about Dreyfus. And I tried to relate it to Charlie and his feelings, but I added that. The other suggestion you made was that when he's beating up Spiro at the end, have some callback to his childhood beating up Wallace. So I added a line about that, just to acknowledge that parallel. And that was basically all the revision I did. And I wrote it. I submitted it to some things. Nothing came of it. And I finally decided I have to produce it. It's a one-man show. It can't be that expensive. And so we produced it at the the Den Theater in January of 2019. So I opened with Richard Hansel on opening night. Then I had a few performances with John Boss. And then Jeff came back to the role for the last two weekends. I got a couple of reviews, including the reader, and they basically liked it. It was a pretty positive review, which was wonderful. An artistic director in St. Louis saw that review online. Joe Hanrahan, who was very interested in doing one-man shows, contacted me and he ended up producing it with himself in June of this year. And that got all kinds of reviews in St. Louis, really wonderful reviews. And that's been my big success story with this play. And it was like one of the top things to do in St. Louis? One of the top seven things to do in St. <laughs> Louis that weekend, according to one of the newspapers. <laughs> And then started to think about doing this recording. Yeah, and then I thought I'd do a a podcast, and it made sense to open the podcast with 
an audio recording of Charlie Johnson Reads All the Proofs since it is a monologue. What I didn't finish was, so I wrote the play before I finished reading All the Proofs for the second time. Finally, I finished it after I'd written the play, and I realized I was glad I didn't finish it because the ending of All the Proust is complicated enough that I would have had a difficult time putting the ending into my play. And I actually kind of misstate the ending in my play because I have Charlie say that Proust's goal was to capture time. That's not really what Proust says in the book. He talks about stepping outside of time, which is a little different from capturing time. My conclusion is you should read all of Proust if you want to get a sense of this wonderful novel. And I'm hoping that my play would inspire people to try going and reading Proust on their own. Well, thanks very much for talking about the play today. And uh, thanks to our patrons supporting this, since this is a patrons-only recording. Right. So uh, <laughs> thank you. If you're, if you're hearing this, you've been supporting Continuous Gene, and we appreciate that. And if we get some patrons, we'll edit in your names, thanking sure. you <laughs> eventually when we have patrons. So thank you very much.